Welcome to Victory Christian Center. You're about to hear from our senior pastor, Pastor Stefan Schlugel, as he brings a message on a Sunday service. The title of this morning's message is uh, God Empowered Families. And I have a subtitle here, and uh, a bit later on, I want to get into uh, the aspect of biblical parenting. And I want to give an overview uh, over biblical parenting. Uh, and let me just say that uh, some of you, you're in that stage in your life right now, but this is a very important message for you. Uh, then others of you, uh, you're beyond parenting, you're now grandparenting. Uh, and uh, that is also a, a very important stage in life that you undergird uh, the efforts of uh, your children's uh, efforts in bringing up your grandchildren. Uh, and some of you are pre-parents. Uh, you didn't know there was such a thing, pre-parents. So you're not a parent yet, but one day you will be. Uh, and I'm hoping that today's message will encourage you. Uh, will empower you. Uh, I'm not, not going to be dealing so much with nuts and bolts uh, of parenting, but more so with the overview uh, of biblical parenting and as to why biblical parenting is important. Uh, I want to deal with concepts and understandings that I believe will help everybody, um, even if somebody just does babysitting, if you like. Uh, they haven't got any kids of their own, but they do babysitting. Well, this is going to help you today. Um, so since we've already prayed, uh, let me make a couple of uh, opening statements uh, just to set the, the, uh, lay it down a foundation, set the scene for where we're going. Um, and uh, the first statement here, uh, and it is in your outline, it says that the basic building block of any society or nation is the family unit. All right. God's really into families, let me tell you. God is really into families. Um, then uh, the next point here says that if the family unit is strong, then the nation will be strong. All right. Many people have never thought about this. How do you strengthen a nation? Well, you strengthen the families of the nation. And then the nation will be strong because our whole nation, every society is made up of grouping, of family groupings. All right. Um, then uh, the next point there says that if the family unit is weak or broken down, then the nation will be weak and broken down. Um, and friends, can I suggest at this point that with the way that we need that much money spent on families to fix family problems, uh, that much money spent on uh, social workers, uh, in the field today trying to fix problems is because we've got a mega breakdown of families in our nation. The weakness of our nation points to the weakness in the family. And if we can strengthen the family, then we are strengthening the nation. So, interesting point too, just to underscore what we've already said here, is that when God counted the nation of Israel, He counted them by their families. And specifically, if you go into the book of Numbers, and that's a very appropriate title for that book, uh, God numbered the people, or he instructed Moses uh, and Joshua to number the people. Uh, he numbered them literally by families. Um, and of course, if you imagine Israel as a nation, there were tr 12 tribes. Uh, uh, you know, we talk about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. He had Isaac, who had Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons. Now, these are families now. 
uh, and those 12 sons became the 12 tribes. As each one of them, you know, produced and multiplied, they became the whole nation. It started with one family, um, and it became a whole nation. The population around the world, uh, if you believe the Bible, and by the way, <laughs> we do, it's God started with one family, Adam and Eve. All right, so we need to realize that the nation is made up of families. So families are very, very important in God's uh, viewpoint, in God's economy, in God's purposes. Uh, and just one verse of Scripture here in Numbers chapter 1, verse 2. And God's speaking to, um, to Moses, and he says, You, Moses and Aaron, you must count all the people of Israel by families. And family groups, listing the name of each man. Okay, so all of that is really to underscore uh, before you have a nation, you have a family. And then you have another family. And that group of family grows, and then you have a nation. And if we were to whittle down our nation down to the most basic unit, uh, it is the family unit. All right, not just the individual, it is the family unit. I'm looking around, every person here in this in this auditorium and every person watching online, everybody has come from a family, everyone is in a family of sorts. So when I say of sorts, uh, sometimes people have got very limited family around them and others have got just a, just a half a nation there. Everybody's related. Uh, you've got large families, small families. So to rebuild a nation, and that's the next point in your outline, to build or to rebuild a nation, God focuses on rebuilding the family, and in particular, the individual within the family. Can I suggest to you that the family that you're from and that you're in, if one person is strengthened in themselves, uh, spiritually strengthened, mentally, emotionally uh, strengthened uh, in their you know, in the, in, in the way that they operate within society, then that family becomes that much stronger. For that matter, if that person is weakened, uh, then the family by default becomes weak as well. Now, we're talking about family breakdown, and, and it's in the next point there. You know, the seeds of family breakdown are many times sown in people's lives during their childhood. You know, then you have, a, you have what you call functional families, and you got dysfunctional families. you got families that work quite well, and other families that don't work so well. And then uh, the seeds for the families that don't work so well have been sown mostly during childhood. And actually, many times, people whose families work quite well, uh, also the seeds for things working well have also been sown in childhood. Um, you know, whenever we do marriage preparation for a young couple or any couple that get married, and it's not just young people that get married, people get married all stages in life, uh, we would usually do some, uh, some, you know, bring some assistance to make sure that this thing is going to hold, that it's going to stick, and that, it, that, that, that they're able to journey forward together. And many times we discuss family of origin, 
because the two, God says, shall become one, and it's the becoming one that's sometimes the difficult part because one person comes out of a uh, family that's perhaps less functional than the other person. One comes from a family where there was permissive parenting and another one uh, from a family that was strict parenting, and you got two concepts that are clashing on a continual basis. And somewhere uh, we need to find a solution to these issues. So how, do, uh, how are the seeds of family breakdown sown in people's lives during their childhood? Well, uh, sub-point here, it's observing and adopting dysfunctional family dynamics. There are dynamics in every family. Uh, some are healthy dynamics and some are unhealthy. And when a young person or a child growing up sees mostly dysfunctional stuff, they will many times, not always, but many times, embrace those concepts and bring them into their marriage and into their family. All right, so really we've got to step back a little bit and we've got to fix some issues and undo some things. There many times there is a, a lack of proper child training uh, in families and then people grow up um, into adulthood and there's sometimes just things missing. Uh, wrong pieces are in place. It's a little bit like a house that's only partly furnished, and then you got uh, the wrong furniture in the wrong room. Uh, how do you know that you don't put a kitchen sink into the into the bathroom, and you don't put a bathroom sink into the kitchen? You know, so so things have to be rearranged in people's lives. Um, and if it's not the lack of proper child training, uh, many times then there is wrong child training, just the wrong way to go about it. Uh, we'll touch on some of that in just a little bit. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, is really a key scripture um, that uh, exhorts us, encourages us, yes, commands us what to do with children. It says, train up a child in the way that he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Okay, so basically it says train up a child um, in the way, in the, in the direction he or she should go. And so as parents, we need to point the children in the right direction. And you might say, well, when do you start? As soon as you got the child. You know, it is a, a known fact that in some cultures, Child training doesn't begin until the child is five years of age. Up to that point, anything goes. I'm suggesting to you that that's a little late. You can do a lot of, a lot of pre-work when the children are young so it gets easier later on. The later you leave it, the harder it gets. You know, I've got a couple of fruit trees that I'm dealing with right now. One of them is virtually an adult tree. It happens to be a pear tree, and it's got a major lean on it, and I'm trying to straighten the trolley thing out. And so what I've done is I've put a strap, a band around it, and, and then I've tightened it up against the fence and put a couple of stakes in there, a couple of screws to hold the thing down. And then when I'm back there again two months later, the straps have broken off, and the tree is still leaning out there. Um, and so what, what's happened? It's been left too late. All right. And we're trying to fix adults that got a, a major lean in their lives, and it's just not very easy. It's called discipleship, all right? We're talking about discipling people in the local church. We're talking about helping people to grow up, helping grown-ups to become grown-ups. Now, we're really into it now, aren't we? Uh, okay. And then I've got another 
couple of fruit trees, uh, um, avocado trees that I'm trying to deal with, uh, uh, they're sort of growing a little bit in the wrong direction. But, you know, the, the branches are still quite soft and supple, much easier to deal with than an adult tree. So the sooner you start parenting, the better it is. And I was just thinking, using that example of a tree, of a, of a, um, of a, uh, a branches, I guess. You know, the Bible speaks about Jesus, that he grew up as a tender plant. Uh, and your children are tender plants. And while they're pliable, you know, with young plants, uh, you can point them in any direction you want him to go. And so long as you fast in that direction, uh, that's where they will end up going. So train up a child in the way that he should go. So don't let children aim in this direction when you want them to go in that direction. And don't say, I'll let them find their own way. They will not find their own way. All right. It is our responsibility as parents and as caregivers uh, to direct the children in the way that we want them to go. Um, and uh, so there we go. Um, the second uh, point in your outline, it speaks about the goal of our parenting efforts. <laughs> Do we have a goal? What is our goal? Uh, what is the end goal in mind uh, of when we talk about child rearing? You know, somebody said once, I'm just very happy to get the kids to 16, 18, 20 years old, and then I just want them to leave my house. You know, I want my, I want my peace back again. Well, it's possible to have children in the house and peace uh, at the same time. All right. It'll be busy, but you can still have peace. Um, and of course, uh, just wanting your kids to leave the house is not a goal. I mean, that will eventually happening. Uh, that will eventually happen. Unless, of course, you have uh, kids that are part of what they call the Generation Stay Home. How many of you have ever heard, we talk about Generation X, Generation Y, uh, the millennials, and then they talk about Generation Stay Home, uh, the kids that don't want to leave the house uh, because mom does everything, you know, and, and dad's car can be driven around anytime it wants to. Mom does all the washing, all the cooking. It's just like real easy. Uh, and, and sometimes, you know, it's like nature gives us the, uh, the example there and the birds uh, have been, you know, the eggs have been hatched and the birds have grown up and they've grown feathers at a certain point, you know, mama, dad kicks the birds out the nest. And some of you might have to just do a little bit of this uh, just to get the children out there. I don't know what it is today. And uh, I'm not sure if it's much more difficult or complex than what it used to be. But when I got to 15 and a half uh, age and I finished my school, I was out the door. All right. And, uh, and of course, some of you can say, well, absolutely. That's what you did back then. Uh, things change. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just talking about the goal of Parent, of our parenting efforts. Malachi chapter 2 verse 15, it says, didn't the Lord make you one with your wife? So here, uh, God is speaking to the male. He's speaking to the man. He's speaking to the husband. And uh, it says, didn't he make you one with your wife? So we now got husband and wife. He says, in body and spirit, you are his. And here it is. And what does he want? What does God want? And here, here is the statement. Godly children from your union. God wants godly children from your union with your spouse. It says, so guard your heart and remain loyal to the wife of your youth. Now, right there, we could bounce off uh, and we could get into marriage teaching because it's in there. 
but we want to focus more on the parenting aspect and what is the goal of our parenting. Um, and of course, in order to uh, bring up godly children, uh, you've got to have a godly husband and you've got to have a godly wife uh, or godly caregivers nowadays, of course. And by the way, uh, uh, I firmly believe that uh, the most ideal uh, situation in a family is the biological father and the biological mother bringing up their biolog biological children. That would be the ideal and the most perfect scenario as a starting point. Now, of course, uh, I would not in any way want to discount the wonderful and the stellar job that some people are doing in a solo parenting type scenario or in a blended family type scenario. And in some instances, grandparents taking on the grandchildren because the the parents of these children are either not there or not capable of bringing up the children. So I'm not in any way wanting to down anybody or criticize anybody, but we must understand that as far as the Bible is concerned, you've got one man, one woman married, not just living together, they're married. Marriage provides great strength and security to that family to bring up the children. Um, and so um, godly children uh, from your union that's what God wants. So the goal of our parenting efforts is to raise up godly children. That's the end goal, godly children, okay? Uh, not just strong children, not just clever children, not just uh, those who advance, uh, you know, in, in sports or in, in, in the academic world uh, or in other areas or in the arts or whatever it might be. Godly children is what God wants, and uh, godly children will eventually become godly adults. Um, you know, some of us needed some major work when we got saved in adulthood. Um, but ideally, children get, you know, that young kids get saved at, at a young age, and godliness is what they're trained towards. And then when godly children grow up, they are automatically godly parents, uh, godly adults, I should say. Does that, does that make sense? Uh, and when you got um, many, many uh, godly adults, uh, good, proper, upright citizens, uh, then you've got a strong nation. So as Christian parents, we decided to bring our children up to, number one, to know and to serve Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. Then secondly, they're to become law-abiding citizens and to serve their generation. Law-abiding, but not just that, serving their generation. Um, you know, we've got some wonderful parenting material uh, that we've had in the life of our church for many years. Uh, the, the, the major program there is called Growing Kids God's Way, uh, been put together by uh, Gary and Mary and Itzel. Uh, just wonderful material. Um, and uh, we have used that for many years. We dropped the ball a couple of times where we didn't run any of those courses, uh, but we've brought that back in again. We're just starting a parenting course uh, um, in, in, in next week um, that focuses on, you know, protecting the innocence of your child and so forth. That is kind of a specialized sort of a deal. Um, and so the reason why I'm saying all of that is because uh, uh, one of the concepts that the Ed Souls uh, uh, promote and push is that it's into that we need to train our children into weism rather than meism. It's always we, 
not just me. Um, and we'll touch on that in just a little while uh, again. So to become law-abiding citizens and to serve their generation, and that's why I said earlier on that this is not just applicable uh, for you as a parent, but it's applicable for you as a grandparent or as a member of a family where you can somehow aid and assist towards that goal uh, that the children um, know and serve Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and say, become law-abiding citizens, serve their generation. And number three, to be contributors to society than to be takers from society. All right, this is big, friends. Uh, we got we got hordes of people in our nation that only want to take out. They're not prepared to put in. You know, friends, in the end, uh, and the same is true in any family, the same is true in a nation. There's only in a family, in terms of benefits, uh, what somebody is prepared to put in. But if people only in a family to take out, then, you know, after a while, uh, you know, it's, it's just not enough. People need to contribute uh, towards the family uh, in terms of its happiness, in terms of its peace, uh, in terms of the way it functions. Uh, and of course, so it is in our nation. It is not right and it is not good uh, that people are only taking from our nation. They're only consuming. Uh, they're not part of the production uh, force that we have in our nation. So number three, and I'm bouncing on into the next point, Number three, Google-style parenting cannot produce Bible-style children. All right. Now, Google-style, everybody understands, but Bible-style children, people don't understand. I just put that term there. I couldn't think of a better one, but you get the drift. You get the understanding. You know what tends to happen so commonly today uh, is that we got so used to Google, it's like Google has become the all-knowing force. Well, actually, there's only one that's all-knowing, and that's God. But Google knows a lot, all right? Google knows a lot. Uh, Google, of course, is a very invasive force in our lives. Uh, you'd be amazed if you Google your own name, but Google already knows about you. And some of you are silly enough to put all your information, everything you are and what you know and everything you have, you put it on Facebook and for everybody to read. And, of course, Google comes along, claws all of that information together and puts that into a profile about you. But anyway, here's the point. Um, it's sometimes like, oh, my kids are not... Uh, my Kids are not sleeping. What do I do? Uh, bring up Google and say, children not sleeping. What do I do? And, and will Google have an answer? Absolutely, Google will have an answer. Absolutely, Google. Somebody's already asked that question in a forum somewhere. Somebody's given an answer. But let me tell you, the first answer that comes up is not necessarily the right answer. It's just most probably the most popular answer. And there is a deal going on, friends, that people don't realize this. Uh, it's just, just because uh, an answer is popular doesn't make it right. You know, we speak of pop culture, popular culture. Popular culture does not know how to train children very well. But Bible-believing Christians, if they've been trained, they know how to train their children well. So, you know, we bounce into Google. I was just, uh, just even before I stepped up here, I'm sometimes guilty of opening up Google. And yes, I am. In the middle of the service, 
uh, before I step up to preach, a, a question comes to my mind, and I need a very quick answer. Sometimes it's just a date. Sometimes it's verifying a, a person's name and so forth. So I bounce in there, and, and that's just what we got used to. I mean, some of us, uh, uh, some of you, 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 you know, Google is not your, not your friend and not something you do, but a lot of young people do these days. You know, what does Google have to say? Well, Google-style parenting cannot produce Bible-style children. Uh, Bible style means that the children are fashioned according to biblical child training. Um, and somebody says, well, is Google always wrong? Well, sometimes right, sometimes wrong. Uh, but Google has a c certain algorithm that they work to. When you answer, ask a question, it'll come up with a certain thing and what's up the top. And usually at that stage, people look at the first, uh, answer the second one, the second, the third website, and then people are off because they're too busy to drill down and say, I want to do a whole parenting course to get the whole story from wall to go. And then most likely, the right answer would be buried somewhere, but who goes to Google page two, page three, page, page four when you do a search? Most of us, first page, and we're off to other things. How do you know what I'm talking about? So I'm saying all of that to let you know that our parenting style should not be a mixture of biblical and worldly parenting philosophies, as this will produce or result in a mixture of godliness and ungodliness in the lives of our children. It's a mixture. It's contaminated. Um, and by the way, uh, if you are in any way wondering what I would uh, wish to promote to you today in terms of which philosophy, Pastor, would you go with and which one would you promote, I promote the biblical philosophy of child training. And to get the training from somebody that knows what they're talking about, that are thoroughly grounded in the Word of God. Now, I'm not doing a child training session today. I'm just giving you an overview. See, I'm a GP, like a, a general practitioner, but we got experts, we got specialists that know uh, how to bring children up, uh, and uh, they can teach us these things very, very well. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Fathers, do not make your children angry. Um, one translation says, look, don't frustrate your children. Um, and um, uh, it says, but raise them with the training and the teaching of the Lord. Raise them with the training and the teaching of the Lord. What's that? That's biblical parenting philosophy. We go back to the Bible. God's made your children uh, and somebody might say, no, I made them. No, God made them. God is the creator. You're only the procreator uh, of the children. All right. <laughs> You've got very little, uh, very little uh, ability to, you know, to produce a certain, you know, in terms of uh, I'm on a certain child. Well, 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 God's given you a child the personality. God's given the child your, the giftings and the, apti, you know, like the, the leanings in terms of who they are and so forth. Uh, and, and, and God knows how to shape that child and to help you to point it in the right direction. So when the child grows up, it's still going uh, in that same direction. The sooner you start the easier it'll become later and the more successful it'll be. If you're dealing with a young 15-year-old rebel, it's just a little difficult. It not, doesn't mean that it can't be done. There are certain ways and things that, you know, methods uh, that you need to employ at that point. Uh, but I'm telling you again, the sooner you start, 
the better it is. You know, Bible-based parenting will produce Bible-based results. Sometimes people say, well, why don't I have what God says I can have? Well, we need to do what God says we must do in order to have what God says we can have. Um, God does not override our sovereignty. I mean, God is a sovereign God, but he does not override our sovereignty. God will give us, you know, there is a law uh, in force in humanity on the earth, and it's what you sow is what you reap. Um, you know, if you, if you sow anger into your children's lives, you're liable to reap anger back in the end. That's why the Bible says here, says, fathers, do not uh, make your children angry. Um, and, uh, and, uh, and, and you see, we have to teach children on how to not be angry, how to deal with life's challenges and not respond in anger uh, or in major frustration. So again, Bible-based parenting will produce Bible-based results. Make the Word of God the basis of your parenting philosophy. Make the Word the basis of it. Uh, don't make Google the basis of, um, of your parenting philosophy. And then a second sub-point there, teach your children the Word of God. You know, your children have a, what again in our parenting courses has been called the moral warehouse. And the more good things you put into that moral warehouse, when the children are out and about in any given situation and they strike a certain scenario and a certain situation and a certain set of circumstances, they will go to that moral warehouse and say, what do I do here? Um, and, and how am I supposed to respond there? So whatever you put in, at some point it'll come out. But we need to be very purposeful in what we put into the moral warehouse uh, of our children. Memory verses are a wonderful way to teach the children the Word of God and to put the Word of God into their heart. You know, we put it into their memory and then we put it into their heart. Uh, and by the way, uh, I would always encourage you to support what your children are learning in children's church because that's what we endeavor to do in children's church. We try to put the Word of God into your little ones. They're not just being babysat. They're not just being cared for. So you can have a moment's peace by yourself in the service uh, and everything. We are teaching the children the Word of God. And, and it would be a good thing for you uh, to appreciate the people that are working over there because, boy, they work very hard. And it would be a good thing for you to ask your children, what did you learn today? Were you given any handouts? Well, what's that piece of paper in your hand? and to try to perpetuate that at home so that church and family can work together to produce better children. Is that right? Okay. Memory verses, putting the word in there. Um, teaching the children Proverbs. When the children get of an age enough, Proverbs is just filled with wisdom from wall to go, like from chapter 1 all the way through to chapter 31. Um, and you can't deal with a whole chapter a day. You need to break it right down and just deal with a couple of verses a day if you're trying to think, well, what, where do I start? Well, Proverbs is a great starting point. Um, Child-centered parenting, and that's the next point here. Child-centered parenting is a worldly parenting philosophy, and it will produce self-centered children. 
Okay, so there's a whole understanding behind the term child-centered parenting. Uh, and I haven't got time to drill down into the specifics of it. Uh, but, you know, your child, you need to know, is actually not the center of the universe. And yes, particularly when children are small, family activity and different things are geared around a certain child's routine based on their age and so forth. But the child is not the center of the universe, okay? Uh, and if you only focus on the child, what do you want today, sweetheart? Uh, do you want to go out or you want to stay home? Do you want cereal for breakfast or would you like to, me to boil an egg for you? And giving the child choices and it's all about what the child wants. And half the time the kids don't know what they want. It will produce a child-centered child. In our house... We let the kids know very quickly, saying, even though I have been trained in the area of producing food, uh, that's my background. I've worked in hotels and in restaurants and in embassies uh, uh, around the world uh, before I stepped on into the ministry. But I let my children know very quickly. I says, listen, this is our home and this is not an a la carte restaurant. And I'm not your waiter. I'm not here for you to place your order and I rush off into the kitchen and cook what you like and only to bring it out and then for you to criticize it. We're not going to do that in this house. You will eat what's put on the table. All right. <laughs> okay. So child-centered parenting. We need to burst that bubble sooner rather than later because it will produce self-centered children. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I'm bouncing into the next scripture. Um, and this is a key uh, concept uh, that you should make as the basis of your parenting endeavors. Uh, Deuteronomy 6 verse 6, God speaking uh, to the children of Israel. Uh, we call them children of Israel, but most of them were adults. Um, and he says, he says, and these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. What words were they? They were the word that was the word of God. God says, the words that I'm giving you, he says, they shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Um, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, we need to, of course, understand that uh, uh, God was instructing a whole nation of uh, who was mostly illiterate. Um, and so they couldn't just open up the Bible uh, in their own homes and their tents as they were traveling from Egypt into the, on into the promised land. Uh, uh, so what happened was that God gave the word to Moses and to Aaron, and Moses and Aaron and the priests ended up teaching the people, mostly the fathers of the families, and then the fathers went home and taught their families. All right, so that's the pattern. Uh, if you remember, um, when, you know, it's an interesting thing, but, you know, it's a, it's a tall order for a man, what a man is supposed to be doing in order to be a good husband, a good father and everything. And that's not in any way to minimize what women are doing. Uh, but, you know, when things went wrong in the Garden of Eden, uh, we will get there very shortly. Uh, when God came in, God knew something was wrong. And the first thing he said was, Adam, where are you? 
God was looking for the man. All right. God's given a man an anointing to spiritually lead his family and to determine that together with his wife that they become or are godly people, that they have a godly marriage to teach the children the word of God. And of course, sometimes, you know, traditionally, some of the scriptures of the man being the head of the house have been used by men to oppress their families uh, rather than to lead their families, and they lead by example. When God speaks about leadership in the family, given primarily to the man and then together to the husband and the wife, to the man, it's called servant leadership. It's Fathers and his husbands, we serve our families. We, we're not the dictators. Do this. Get me that. You know, like we, we're not called to be dictators. We're called to be servant leaders. Um, and when children see that, where there's an other-mindedness uh, in the father and in the mother rather than a selfishness, then they can easily embrace that. And then you're teaching with the words that you teach them will catch them on much quicker because the words and the actions uh, of the parents line up. All right, if they, you know, they say that you know, kids will end up doing what they see, not what, what they hear. Um, and so we need to watch what we model to our children. Um, and so nonetheless, God says, the words that I'm giving you, and by the way, this is Old Testament. Uh, everything that they had at that point, he says, those words, they shall be in you, uh, and then you shall, shall teach them to your children. And then go, God goes through that list there of, of when to teach the children. He says, talk to them, uh, God, you know, when you sit in your house. Talk of the word when you sit in your house. Um, he says, when you walk by the way, talk of the word of God. When you lie down, talk of the word. When you rise up, talk of the word. So it's like, what does that mean? Well, all the time. Give the, give the children the word all the time. Make it the primary uh, aspect of putting something into the moral warehouse beyond, past and beyond what we call the pleases and thank yous of life and toilet training and all the other training. Give the children the word of God. Uh, put it into them via memory verses. Put it into them by having some sort of a family gathering where you bring the Word of God out. Uh, as I say, uh, in, in the early years of our family, you know, we made an effort to teach Proverbs to the children. In fact, Vanessa in particular, because um, she was a stay-at-home mom, so she obviously had the greater time with the kids, uh, teaching the children uh, the Word of God, teaching them Proverbs. Because, you see, we can send our children to the best school in the land. We can send them to the best university in the world. But all they gain there is knowledge and maybe a little bit of understanding. But wisdom comes from the Word of God. And in order for our children to be successful, they need wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. And wisdom is very scarce today. All right? So it's teaching the children the Word of God, creating some sort of a family altar, um, of which uh, is a very simple way to get started if there's nothing in place. When you all sit down as a family at home and the meal's been put on the table, 
Why doesn't the father lead and drop his head down uh, in the presence of God and give thanks for the food that we're about to eat? That will mark the children for life if they see that pattern. It's the most simple things you can do in order to start some spiritual input and to model something. When a man is prepared to drop his head down, uh, of course, if he's too prideful to drop his head down, uh, then that's a problem. Uh, and as I said earlier on, if a man, in a general sense, uh, you know, claims to be in a Christian family, but he's not in the Word of God, he does not pray, in my view, he virtually disqualifies to lead his family in a spiritual way because it's just not there. All right, so we endeavor, we endeavor as a local church, and for me as a pastor, is to put things not just into women, praise God for women, you know, praise God for the praying girls, and praise God for the women holding the fort until the men come around to it. Sometimes it takes men a bit longer, but once a man's got it, there's a whole lot of things to fall into place into that family. A friend of mine preached a message. Um, he says, to fix the home, he says, you've got to primarily fix the man. When you fix the man and turn him from a rebel into a praying man and from a man that, you know, that stiffens up his neck and say, and say this is what I want, when he drops his head down uh, and in the presence of God and recognizes that there's somebody greater than him, that's very powerful. And these things will mark a child for life. You know, there's little things we can do to mark children for life. Teach the Word of God to your children, is what God tells us here. Talk of them, talk of the Word when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. In other words, teach the Word of God to your children at every opportunity. I will personally forget that uh, first part of verse 8 where it says, you know, put them as a sign on your hand. Uh, you know, Jewish uh, uh, culture and Jewish understanding was that they had the Word of God. Uh, in fact, they had little frontlets uh, uh, in front of their forehead where they attached certain things to their headgear with little boxes where the Word of God was inside. Uh, but when it says, you know, put the Word of God uh, on the doorposts of your house and on your gates... It's make the Word of God visual. You know, some, some of us are used to putting a memory verse or something on the mirror in our bathroom um, so that we got the Word visibly in front of us. Uh, a good thing to put verses and a thing on the, on, the, on the walls in the children's, um, you know, in the children's room. It's, in fact, you go through the room of your child and find out what's in there. And particularly if they're teenagers, what's on the wall? Um, you know, it's like sometimes kids are, kids are turning into, into rebels and they're feeding on rebellion. Um, and rebellion is visibly displayed on the wall with the posters, uh, with the type of music that they listen to, the type of literature that they read or what they look at and the types of heroes that they have in their own life. You know, to me, Superman is not a great hero. Uh, I mean, Superman, I mean, what's that? You know, that's a worldly kind of a deal. We want the Word of God there and we want to elevate Jesus Christ. He's the best man that ever lived on the face of the earth. You know, some of these sports stars and, and on, uh, even movie stars, you know, it's like uh, some of these movie stars, uh, let me say this, some of them are very good at their craft of acting. But when I've listened to some of the interviews of them, I'm thinking, gosh, you are so unintelligent, it's not even funny. Yet you think you're so clever and so smart. 
And so many people are listening to you, and you're distributing that nonsense of yours around the world. People think, oh, you know what? So-and-so said this, and so-and-so said that. Well, what does the Bible say? All right, let's get back to the Word of God. What do godly people say? Uh, all right, of course, we've got wonderful Christian uh, people in, 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 you know, in, the, in the movie world and the whole world of, of acting and the show business and, and, uh, and in sports and so forth, and praise God for them. I don't want to like, you know, just tie them all with the same brush, so to speak, but some of them, gosh, uh, it's just like, oh, you know, it's incredible. So, fill your children's moral warehouse with the Word of God. I need to press on. Um, children, in Ephesians 6, verse 1, 2, and 3, children, obey your parents as the Lord wants because this is the right thing to do. All right, and all the parents said, Amen. All right, Amen. Children, obey because that's the right thing to do. But you know what? If the children don't obey, it's not the child's fault it, the, 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 the missing part is on the parents not knowing how to get their children to obey. So that's why we need to learn skills. It's an amazing thing, you know. But they don't let you drive a motor car unless you do a driver's license. They certainly don't let you fly a plane unless you do, you know, what they call your wings, the, your, all the training, all the theory of it, all the practice. But they let you have kids galore and not give you an ounce of training along with it. It's amazing. How we would possibly think that, uh, you know, we know it all and what's, what else can there be learned than what I already know. It's just a disaster of an attitude. Uh, so let's learn everything we can. Children, obey your parents as the Lord wants because this is the right thing to do. The command says, honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment that has a promise with it. Then everything will be well with you and you will live a long life on the earth. Um, very powerful. Apostle Paul picks up one of the Ten Commandments, and he says, this is actually the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. I mean, if my memory serves me correctly, uh, it's actually the fifth commandment in the Ten Commandments, but it's the first commandment when he got past one, two, three, four, and it's fifth is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. Um, the other thing just says, God, do this and just do it. But if you do this you're going to get some very rich rewards out of it. If you honor your father and your mother, life will go well for you. And everything, it says, everything will be well with you and you will have a long life on the earth. As parents, we ought to recognize that the most basic task for us as Christian parents is to get our children to obey us, number one, and number two, to get our children to honor and respect us. You know, Pastor Vanessa minister, ministered a message, was it three weeks ago, about fight for your family. And in the process there, she pointed out that uh, you're really like a God to your child. You're everything for this child, particularly in the beginning. You provide everything. You do everything. You organize it. You do, you're, like, you're like a God to this child. And here's the deal. If you teach your children to honor and respect you, they will have no difficulty honoring and respecting the highest um, authority in the universe. That is, of course, the Lord God Almighty manifesting through Jesus Christ. 
So it's getting the children to obey us and learning the skills on how to do that. It will not necessarily come naturally. It is a skilled a, a, a skill that is learned. There's keys that we can embrace and that are taught to us. Um, and um, so we get our children to obey us. Uh, and of course, in our parenting uh, environment, uh, uh, we have the concept there of first-time obedience, not the second, third, fourth time. Uh, it's first-time obedience. And, you know, sometimes not uncommon. I might have done it too. We see something and we say to the child, listen, don't do that. Do this. And the child carries on doing that. And we go one, two, three. Like the third time, you're going to get a spanking. Uh, of course, nowadays, spanking is, uh, is illegal uh, in New Zealand. It's another one of those dumb laws that's been hatched by uh, unintelligent politicians uh, who are deceived. Um, and I know their intention was good to fix the violence problem that we have throughout society and to protect children. But now history has shown us since this law has inst been instituted, it's done nothing of the sort. All it's done is it's criminalized good parents. But it is what it is. We have to, we have to uh, I suppose, respect that law. Uh, though I'm finding personally, I might as well speak about this, I'm finding personally that many parents that I know, they still spank their children because uh, sometimes it's like, you know, if you've only had girls in your family, you know, girls can be a bit of a challenge, but you don't know what's hit you until you get a boy. <laughs> All right? I found over the years, and I'm not promoting this idea now, because when we, when, you know, that law wasn't around, when Vanessa and I had our children small, and when we did child training in the early days, I found that, you know, we had a little implement uh, uh, called Happy Smacky. Um, <laughs> And Happy Smack, it was one of those wonderful pla plastic uh, implements. It wasn't too heavy. It wasn't too soft. It had a bit of a flex in it. It was actually one of those plastic egg flips. Uh, and, uh, and I would grab it by the egg flip part and, and, and do this. And, you know, the, the handle sort of flop around. I says, this is Happy Smacky. And I found that if the kids disobey, say, the girls, and I just showed them this thing, it fixes most things. Because <laughs> girls just, you know. But you see, when you got a boy... You've you got a leader in, a, in, in amongst his personality, and you've got one that is a higher risk taker than what girls will ever be. It's just natural. It's just built in. Uh, and, uh, and they will push, and they will push until they get the stick. And when they get the stick, it's like, uh, oh, oh, they meant it. Uh, so, but what I'm finding now, what I'm finding now is that parents still spank their kids but they've left it too long, and then they're spanked out of frustration. And the Bible says that the rod of anger will fail. Now, you've got to somehow figure out what you're doing amongst all of that. We've got the law, but we have the Word of God, and you need to figure out what you must do in order to control your children. Of course, uh, you know, I'm not in any way suggesting that the, uh, the rod would have ever been the first resort, uh, but most certainly not the last resort. All right. Uh, and so, happy smacky, that's what we called him. Uh, we should have kept him and framed him. Happy Smacky. Uh, it was red in color. Talk to our kids, they will remember Happy Smacky. They can, they, if you want a drawing from them, they will be able to give you a color drawing, I can tell you that. So, parents, you must. It's a very basic concept. You must get your children to honor and respect you. Demand honor and respect from them. And this is not a selfish thing that you're doing. It's the right thing. And if they honor and respect you, and if they don't, it's actually you're failing, not the children's failing. 
It's, it's, it'll go well with them and they will live a long life. So it's the first commandment with, with promise. Children, uh, you know, honor your father and your mother. And of course, honoring father and mother goes on into adulthood. And even once the parents have moved on, we still speak of them in an honorable sort of a way. Because that's something that we do from the moment we are children have been taught that we uh, cultivate a, an atmosphere of honor and respect. Now, let me speak about this a little bit. Uh, you see, honor for father and mother speaks primarily about honor for authority. Primarily. And by the way, parent, caregiver, you're the authority. Your child's not the authority. <laughs> Sometimes I've had frustrated parents. I don't know what to do with the kids. Uh, you know, they just play up and, you know, don't know. They, you know, they do this, they do that. You know, they smash the house. They smash the toy. It says, listen, it says, you're the adult. You're the smart one. And you're actually stronger than your child. Uh, so if you need to restrain your children physically, you're still able to do that, all right? Um, and there's something about getting a hold of a child that's sort of out of control and speaking to them in very firm language and make them look you in the eye and to get them to repeat after you. Now, I'm, no, I'm getting into nuts and bolts, and we deal with that in our parenting courses. But they need to face authority and they need to respect authority, and you're the authority. You know, sometimes we have, uh, you know, like people say, you know, they've done something, you know, like a hit and run, uh, or they've done something wrong, then they run away. Um, our children knew that running away wasn't going to help, and if they run away, it wasn't going to be an extra smack. So you do something, you face the music. All right? You commit the crime, you do the time. Now, I know I'm sort of focusing on that, but the reason why I focus a bit more on the stronger side of parenting is because I'm speaking to young parents who largely slipped into permissive parenting rather than more strict disciplinary, disciplinary parenting. So the whole deal here is about, it's not about being nothing but a law and a dictator or letting the kids do anything they want. It's being a loving parent that's loving first and foremost, that operates with grace, but is nonetheless firm with their children and to, to demand that the children come to the standard. Don't bring the standard to the child. Bring the child to the standard. You figure out what the standard is. And of course, it is the Word of God. And that is obviously an age-appropriate uh, situation that you can't demand from a two-year-old what you can demand from an eight-year-old, quite obviously. All right? So you are the authority uh, in your home. You, the, you are the God-ordained authority in your family as the parent, or if you're a caregiver, you, you're assuming that role uh, over perhaps somebody else's children. Uh, you, they might not be your biological children, but, but they might be. They might be your grandchildren. You're the authority. When you're with the child, uh, you're the authority. Now, initially, I want to just finish this. And uh, 
see how far we get. Uh, we mightn't get to the end of it all, but it's just a few things I want to get out that I feel are part of the package here. Initially, as a parent, you are your children's nurturer and protector. And gosh, you know, you get this little bundle. You know, you get this little bundle that, you know, is small enough to fit it into its mother's tummy, and then you got it out here. And, uh, and now that child doesn't need anything in terms of, you know, some of the firmer disciplines that we talked about and firm birds and so forth. And look me in the eye, you know, that's not what you do. You, you, you nurture, you care for this child, uh, and you protect this child. You've got to do everything for the child. Feeding, you know, every, everything. That's, that's who you are at that point. You're the nurturer and the protector. And then you become their trainer, their teacher, and their coach. You might say, well, how soon should I start training them? As soon as you got the child, you start training. You know, there is this concept of feeding baby uh, where it used to be that children, you know, parents were encouraged, or mothers in particular, you know, typically breastfeeding. It's like feed the child and try to get the child into an hourly you know, pattern um, of whatever that hour, and I've never breastfed, so I don't know what, what that looks like and what all of that is. But, but they said, right, and then a, a modern idea came along and they called it demand feeding. You know, your child will know when it's hungry and it will tell you. Well, the moment you start that demand thing, that the child demands things that you'd otherwise give in a in a kind of an orderly fashion, you're starting a train where the child will forever demand. Uh, and you have inadvertently, you didn't know this, that there's a name for it, but it's called permissive parenting rather than more of a dis discipline-style parenting. So it's even training the child to sleep feeding the child, and so forth. These things can be done, and there's knowledge around today that will help parents to do that. I'm not here to point fingers at somebody and say, oh, gosh, what? You know, your child is this old and don't sleep through. The, you know, that's not what this is about. But I'm saying we have the knowledge, um, and we have the materials to teaching children when they will feed. Now, you can make the exception occasionally but, but, and so forth, but getting the child into a pattern, into a routine. I want to speak about routine a little bit later on because routine is one of seven or eight hours that are very important to the life of your child and to you as a, as a parent. So you become their trainer, their teacher, and their coach, um, and then the point here is, and it's in your outline, it's in bold, you are their authority figure. All right, I can't overemphasize that. You are the authority in the family. Your child is not the authority. If the child, you know, cries and you need to attend to it, of course you will attend to the child. Of course you take care of the child. You're not going to be hard-nosed about one thing or other, but you are the authority. And we're still talking about this whole concept of demanding honor and respect. For you as the parent or as the caregiver from your child, call them to that standard. And of course, right there, uh, if mom and dad are operating towards each other with a culture of honor and respect, the children will see that and emulate that more easily. All right? Of course, if there's no honor and respect in the marriage, then it's difficult to instill that 
into the life of your child. It starts with a, with a family relationship at the husband and wife level, father and mother, and then it should trickle down. And then as they get older, the children, this is, you become their friend, their advisor, and their counselor. You know, when children have grown up and I send them out the house, <laughs> and uh, for the girls, I gave them away in marriage, you know, up to that point, I had a telling capacity. I was able to tell the children what to do and how it's going to be. But once they have been released and gone out, they now have a family of their own. I haven't got that telling capacity anymore, uh, but I've got an advisory capacity. I've got a counseling capacity, and I've got a, what else did we say, friend, advisor, counselor. Um, very, very important. The fact that, uh, that uh, we have endeavored to strongly develop a culture of respect and honor in our house, that our children now, we've got four, of course, are way adults now, I'm getting mega respect and honor from them because it's been put into them when they were children. They're just, it's, just, it's just part of what, 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 uh, what we demanded, what we taught, what we hopefully modeled. Um, in fact, my father, when I was brought up, my father demanded respect. He demanded honor. Because you see, back then, people lived in an honorable culture, in a culture that had honor at its basis. Honor has largely gone out the window. Through, and I haven't got time to get into all of that, to see what that looks like, but honor is not around all that much anymore. You know, when you drive down the road and you make... Uh, a mistake, and somebody drives past you and gives you the number one sign, you know that that's a dishonorable individual. All right, there's just one example there because I don't want to drill down any further. But here's the deal, friends. We're talking about getting your children to honor and respect you. If you try to be a friend to your children before they recognize you as their authority figure, you will lose all authority and they will see you as an equal. Let me say this again. If you try to be a friend to your children too early, before you are firmly established as their authority figure, in other words, in rank you're higher than the child, then if you do that, you will lose all authority, and the kids will see you as their mate, and they're liable to run all over you and tell you what you must do rather than the other way around. This is a key aspect of parenting. This is a cornerstone of parenting. If people get that wrong, many other things just won't work because this is a major foundation part um, in our parenting endeavors. So demand honor and respect from your children. Uh, it is very important. Uh, it fulfills the fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments, uh, it is the first commandment that has a promise attached to it. Things will go well for your children if you teach them that. You don't teach it to them out of selfish reasons to say, okay, everybody, you know, honor me. This is not what this is about. It's instilling that culture and that concept, that understanding into the children so that things can go well for them. And if there's 
culture of honor and respect there. A lot of things will fall into place in your home. Your home will be more peaceful. It'll, be, it'll not be bedlam all day long uh, and everything because there's, even though these are unseen concepts, you can see it in the children's life. Thanks for watching Victory Christian Center. For more content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel or you can subscribe to our podcasts on Spotify, iTunes or Google Podcasts. Check out our website at victory.net.nz. We'll see you again soon.